it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pantidra. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello, I'm Kay Wenigle. Thanks for joining me on another Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show. This show is coming to you via the studios of 3CR Melbourne and is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the show. Robert Llewellyn is not only a well-known actor, comedian and writer, but more importantly, also an electric car and sustainable tech advocate. Here is part two in a series of talks I did with Robert recently, where he speaks about fully charged events around the world, what fully charged could have been named, fully charged cities, and how Formula One champion Lewis Hamilton could be the next big name in electric vehicles. He starts off telling us about a visit to Byron Bay. I know you went to Byron Bay last year, I think it was, and yeah. you rode on the world's first completely solar-powered train. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. I love that stuff. That's really clever. Their fuel bill, surprisingly, is very low. <laughs> 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 no, it's an amazing achievement. They've done a really... And it is, you know, it is a, basically a tourist train. It goes, I don't know what it goes, 4 or 5K. It doesn't go that far. It's, it's back and forth. I mean, they want to extend the line a bit longer. So it's basically... You can get to the beach without taking your car. You can park a little way away and, you know, ride to the beach on it. But it's such a lovely experience going along that track. It was stunning. And, you know, no air conditioning. It's like a 1940s railway carriages. They're really old carriages. But they've done them all up. And they just, literally, when they get to the station, they use the same connectors that you'd use on an electric car. They just use two of them. In it goes. There's a battery pack under the where there would have been an engine. And it's just perfect. So that is being uh, adopted in this country. There's now a couple of regular, normal rail lines where there is um, electrification on the line. And then there's a gap where there is no electrification, like 30 miles. Well, they've now put batteries in those trains. And instead of having diesel electric, they just have battery electric. So they can do that extra bit without any uh, power, which saves a fortune because to electrify that piece of already established rail line is millions and millions of pounds, you know, so mm. that so that is happening. I think we'll see that a lot. So the, the train in Byron Bay, it has solar panels on the roof and then yeah. the train stations also have solar panels, which I think... Yes. So, I mean, the, yes, the solar panels on the roof probably add 10 or 15% of the power needed to run the train. But I mean, one of the things about trains, which I did know, because I've done TV shows about trains, is that they use a vast amount of energy to get them, say, to 50 miles an hour. And then you can turn the engine off and it'll carry on doing 50 miles an hour for like a long time, if it's no, flat ground. No because there's so little friction. Yeah, incredibly low friction. So it's an incredibly efficient transportation system, which we used all over the world in trams and everything. It was very good. And then we ripped them all up and then replaced them with diesel buses with tyres because the tyre manufacturers, you know, that history is not worth reflecting on. It's such a shame because we had all our cities in the UK had trams, electric trams, really clean transport. And uh, we've got very few places now with it. Melbourne's got 
trams. Yeah, but yes, else. yeah, you're sensible. You, you, yeah, you hung on to yours. They're so cool. I love the Melbourne trams. Yeah. I just wanted to mention you. You call it fully charged, but I think originally you wanted to call the show gearless. Oh yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, for like for about a week. Okay, so what what inspired it was two things. So I went to a meeting at the BBC with the producer of Top Gear, who had who who'd stopped doing Top Gear. So we I pitched this idea to to the BBC and it just fell on its face. They just they didn't get it. They didn't understand what I was talking about, which is fair enough. Twenty ten, it was a very different picture. And so I then thought, well, I'll, I had been making this show on YouTube called Carpool which was, you know, I don't want to, I'm trying to shorten the story as much, but it was basically a combination of the technology and the ability to effectively broadcast a TV show without going through a broadcaster. That kind of caught my attention in the kind of mid-noughties. And I managed to get some second-hand cameras from the camera crew on Scrap Heap Challenge, little tiny, they're called lipstick cameras, so they literally were the size of a lipstick with a wire coming out of the back. You mount them on the windscreen and then you've got two cameras in a car that you can barely see. They're so small. And I give someone a lift and I, and I worked this out. If I was going to do a chat show, no one I knew was going to come to a studio somewhere and sit and do talking. I was like too boring. But I could go to their house, pick them up, take them to the shops. <laughs> and that unbelievably that worked. So I'd made 140 episodes of that, I think, with all sorts of people. And that so that had worked fairly well it got some millions of views so it did all right but in the end it was kind of frustrating for me it was just the same thing and I so then fully charged just sort of came up so the idea of calling it gearless was it it was that electric cars don't need gears so top gear and there's a show called Uh fifth gear which is on another channel and I said well this has got no I was which maybe no gears but actually Ever since then, I've come across about three different electric vehicles that actually do have gears, <laughs> particularly if they're high-performance racing electric cars. They, they have a sort of – they do change gear so they can reach yeah. a top speed. But, you know, 90% of them don't. But that was the original thing. And then fully charged. I don't know where that even came from. It just appeared. And I just went, oh, that's better, I think. That's a better title. So it was gearless for about a week. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Well, getting back to England, you've got a, a live three-day event, EV and Clean Technologies event organised yeah. next year. Yes, we do. So the last two years before this year, we did a, a show. So I was very reticent about it. So we uh, organised a show at, at Silverstone, which is a motor racing circuit, but in the middle of nowhere, no public transport, no, you know, you have to have a car to get there. It's basically an old World War II airfield, literally in the middle of nowhere. So, and I just said to so this amazing man, Dan Caesar, who's the managing director of Fully Charged, who had done events. So that's where I'd met him. Uh, I did, uh, was presenting at an event he'd done a few years ago. And he said, oh, loads of people will come. It'd be really popular. I went, no, they, who's going to come? You know, it's some electric cars at Silverstone. Silverstone's the wrong place. That's petrol head heaven. Uh, you know, it's all wrong, everything about it wrong. And then we went, there's this big uh, exhibition space. And I went, we'll never fill this. No one's going to come. I honestly was the most dismissive. And that first year we did it, which was on an absolute shoestring and a hope and a prayer, five and a half thousand people turned up over the weekend, which I thought we'd get, a, if we got a thousand, we would, it would, we were rocking. <laughs> yeah. And the second year we did it, we had 12 and a half thousand visitors. And this year we would have had about eighteen to twenty thousand if we could have done it, but we had to postpone everything. And we're doing it in a different venue. We're now doing it at Farnborough Airfield, which is much nearer London, much nearer public transport, 
huge, huge hall. I mean, it's basically a hangar that you could put a half a dozen 747s in. So it's a very big space. And so hopefully we're doing it sort of inside and outside there. So there's an apron outside there where you can park Airbus A380s if you've got them. Um, so it's a big area. So we are praying that we will be able to do it. And there, we're then doing one in Austin, Texas, we hope, later in the year. We did one in Austin, Texas this year, which was, an, again, I was fully opposed to it. I said, it's stupid. It's the wrong place. Who's going to come to Austin, Texas? You know, it's different. It's, we don't know the American market. We don't understand. We do have a lot of viewers in America. We did it, sold out, absolutely packed out, incredible success. Uh, had cars on display there that 90% of the people who came had never seen. You know, so it was a, they, they loved it. That's the feedback you get is amazing. So then in October next year, we're doing one in Amsterdam, which I think will be, that will be good. I feel confident about that. And then we're praying that in 2022, we will do one in Australia. That's what we want to do fully charged down under. Because wow, uh, I think it's, I think that, you know, we get so, we've got a lot of viewers in Australia. A lot of people are interested in electric vehicles there. You know, it's a really complicated transition to do because you you know your indigenous automotive manufacturing is probably going to be the last people on the planet to start making electric cars from what i understand it but there is such incredible innovation in australia such incredible engineering based skills there's a lot of people converting existing cars to electric drive really really well and there's a whole industry around the world that is doing that more and more successfully and that kind of thing it will just start to become you know it's the same story anyway so you your bmw i3 on your street there's other there's your neighbors will see that and go why is she driving that weird what is that then you know super dismissive could be well that's no good (laughs) doesn't have the range (laughs) i need to drive to whoop whoop every day (laughs) that sounds exciting fully charged comes to australia yeah and you went to Austin, Texas, when you went to America, rather than California, which I thought yeah. would have been the obvious choice. Me too. Me too. Believe me, I said it plenty of times. But everyone <laughs> that went, a lot of people from California came there and they said, you did the right thing. This is much better. I mean, Austin, to put it in context, for those who don't know, I mean, uh, Texas, as we know, is a very conservative state. The urban tr- triangle of Houston, Austin and the other one, which I now can't remember, are... Uh, oasis of progressive politics in an otherwise oil-based gun-toting. <laughs> it's you know, don't even want to think about it. But I mean, for instance, uh, the the city council, the city authorities in Austin own the electricity network. Texas is an island in terms of the grid; it's not connected to the rest of to the rest of America, yeah, and they but- have an, inc- an incredibly advanced energy policy. So they're aiming to be 100% electric in Austin. They're close to it already. They have massive wind farms, absolutely colossal, which have been going for a long time, which make money. And the farmers love them because they make money. <laughs> they get paid to have wind turbines on their land. They're very proud of them. That's not a contentious thing there. It's interesting, very quirky place. And then uh, lots and lots of solar. So for a while, the biggest solar farm in the world was in Texas, and it powered an oil refinery because the oil company realized how much money they saved using solar power to power the refinery. Austin was just amazing. Well, now we, we kind of heard rumours, but we really weren't, didn't have any inside knowledge that uh, Tesla were going to build their next factory there. And that is right next to where we had Fully Charged Life. It's the next oh. block of land. So by the time we do Austin next year, it might not be operating, but it will be a massive building by the time we're there. So that will be mm-hmm. a sort of added attraction. But, but you know, it's just the fact that we got immense support from 
companies and, and the community activists in electric vehicles, you know, the plug in America, you know, there's a lot of local areas of electric vehicle associations. A lot of those people came along, and did talks and presentations and had stands. And it was just a brilliant atmosphere. And things like we had the Rivian, which I'd never seen before, the Rivian trucks, which if your listeners aren't aware of, but there's a company in new company in America called Rivian who have, they've received an order for electric delivery vans from Amazon. So you go, well, that's good. What, like 10? No, 100,000 electric vans they're in the process of producing at the moment to do last mile deliveries. Well, last 100 mile deliveries, I suppose, in those, in those cases. So they're a big company. They're making pickup trucks. And, when, and they are extraordinary, they're very, very powerful, very fast, with enormous range, all those things, you know. So I want to live long enough to own a Rivian pickup truck. So you obviously like the big American tanks then. I don't. I think they're ridiculous and they're stupid. But if you're not in Britain, if you, when you're in America, you know, I had a Tesla Model S here for four years and I was all the time, the big embarrassment was, this is a ridiculously big car. It's just too big. I've never had a, I've never, ever had a car that big. I always had Golfs, Volkswagen Golfs or Prius. You know, they're not, they're not big cars. A Tesla Model S, huge. It's like driving a, you know, king-sized bed, especially in this country. Now, if I turn right out of my house where I live in Gloucestershire, both wing mirrors on the Tesla Model S would rub both sides of the hedge. That's how narrow the lathe is. Don't turn right. <laughs> turn left, I can just about make it. You know, so it's just too big for this country. But when, I, when I've driven a Tesla Model S in America, it feels like a little compact, like a Ford Focus. It's tiny, it's easy to park, because the car I'm next to is a three and a half ton pickup truck. You know, it's a huge thing. It's, the size of my house. It's just monstrous. So yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? But the, the Rivian is a big, silly pickup truck that you don't need, but it's quite nice. And it's electric. Of course. So have you given any thought to where in Australia you'd hold the fully charged event? Oh, an enormous amount. But I don't think, one, I can't remember. And two, I don't, we certainly don't want to reveal it yet. <laughs> I think it's fair to say it's going to be in, it's going to be in Adelaide, Melbourne or Sydney. Oh, Brisbane. I can't, can't quite see it being in Brisbane. I think, I don't know. Okay. We've got a very good person in, who has worked with us, who now lives in Australia, who is Australian, who's been scouting venues and booking dates. Just in case you've missed it, I'm speaking with Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged. Well, I was thinking um, Adelaide's just lost its, I don't know, Formula 500 or something. That's number. right, yes. They yeah. should actually go for an electric vehicle race. They should, particularly Adelaide. I mean, yeah, the electric vehicle race. So, there, well, there's a lot of stuff happening around that area. I mean, I don't know if you've heard, but Lewis Hamilton is, you know, will retire at some point from Formula One, except he keeps winning. But uh, so he is very involved in Extreme E, which is a, an off-road, like a sort of Baja, Baja 500, you know, that kind of crazy pickup truck type super powerful four-wheel drive nonsense but all electric ones so you know so i mean i think there's very much like there's likely to be a sort of they should do a um a, e. a darwin to adelaide race where they don't go on one road would be good yeah. although you know you've got to be have a little bit of sensitivity <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that sort of thing is very plausible and i mean the fact that he's tied his name to it i think is very indicative of what's happening that shift is you know, can you get a more high-level petrol head than a Formula One champion? Probably not. And what's his, what does he want to do next? He wants to drive electric cars. I, yep. I, rest, I rest my case. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so 
from fully charged, you then went to fully charged cities, fully charged cars to fully charged. Yes, y yes, we will do. It's been it's been COVID delayed because it's just it's just. I think all the city authorities have got a couple of other things on their plate for the next six months or so. So yeah, I really want to do this. So that was really inspired by going to certain cities in Europe and in the UK. Uh, uh, where they're clear, the city authorities are really pushing uh, their, their, that mandate. So, you know, I mean, even London. London is, will you won't be able to drive a combustion car into London probably after 2025. So that is pushing, that is, the shift is enormous. And it's delivery. It's, what's really going to happen is delivery vans. So all that delivery stuff, all those, you know, the last mile deliveries, all the um, cargo bikes that are being developed, and, you know, they are really becoming a spectacular you notice it now in London, it, you know, the delivery vans. So all the UPS vans used in the centre of London are now electric. And that will be more and more obvious. The taxis are now electric. About a quarter of the buses by the end of this year, red double-decker buses, will be purely electric. And what we're trying to do, and of course, everything like that's been delayed, is the infrastructure to charge those is, is quite a challenge. If you think, you know, there's a dozen people on this street have electric cars, ooh, that's quite different at night now. That will change the profile of their usage. Well, you have 450 electric buses with 150 kilowatt hour batteries in each one, and you're charging them at night. That is a lot of juice. You know, that's got to come from somewhere. You've got to have the infrastructure to support it, which they're building. I mean, that is happening. So that's very encouraging. Uh, partly based on experience from China. So um, Shenzhen, I don't know if you know, because there was a wonderful day about three years ago where we got a press release from Leicester City Council in the UK because they had they had launched their first fully electric bus. And there was a photograph of the mayor of Leicester proudly standing by this electric bus, which was built in China. <laughs> and they just put it on the road. And the same day, we heard later, the same day, Shenzhen took 14,000 diesel buses off the roads of Shenzhen and replaced them with 14,000 electric ones in one day. <laughs> and those buses were made in China. And it's when you see that scale of transition and they had built the charging infrastructure to charge 14,000 buses it's mind-boggling absolutely mind-boggling it is so where does the funding come from to do that sort of thing in England I mean I think that is from the local council it will be from the government so the peculiarity of our current administration is that they are in terms of nationalism and and right-wing politics on the extreme end of the right-wing nationalist spectrum you know and the immigration thing that they've developed you know that we're swamped with immigration and it, it, it's, it's so kind of come back and bite them because we're desperately short of hospital workers because everyone who isn't British who's come over here to work and has been treated like filth have left they've gone home I mean, can you blame them you know god he'd want to stay here anyway that's, so there's that side very very negative bizarrely they're very very pro electric vehicles they're pushing electric vehicles they're pushing that agenda all the time they're very pro offshore wind they're very pro renewables they're very very committed to reaching a zero carbon 2050 goal that and they're not waffling about it they're actually taking action a lot of other stuff they're waffling uh dealing with the current pandemic it's just catastrophically hopelessly corrupt and absolutely awful but I, I have to acknowledge that they are doing these amazing things in terms of renewables in terms of electric vehicles in well, terms of 
supplying that infrastructure, which is really, you know, encouraging. And it's uh, the economic advantages. They're pushing British technology. You know, there are some, you know, for all my criticisms of my homeland, you know, we do have a long history of engineering success of being able to make stuff. We're very bad at um, then utilizing or making money out of it. Usually that, that used to happen in America. It now happens in China. You know, we'll come up with a brilliant idea. Lithium ion batteries developed in Oxford in the 1970s and we made not a penny out of it. <laughs> Typical. Yeah. yeah. You obviously taught Australia how to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that was the thing. I, I know it's an awful thing to say, but there is, a, no, I think it's changing. I genuinely think it's changing. But there certainly was a period, say, in the 1970s and 80s, where if you were an, a, a high-achieving, academic, arty, creative Australian, you probably went to California or the UK, yeah. which is, I think, really heartbreaking and so sad. But actually, I now think that's, you know, well, all I know is all the people who are arty and creative are desperate to go and live in Australia, particularly at the moment. You know, it's the other way around. You know, we're all going, can we, you know, my mates go, look, can, can we come and stay with you when you're there? You know, it's, yeah, slightly different. But yeah, I'm hoping that has changed because it's, it's you know, that your country needs those, well, particularly the people with engineering skills. I think there is enormous uh it's an enormously attractive place to be doing that kind of development because there's such amazing opportunities in australia to to do that and there are lots of companies that i know of uh, that are that were developed so the best rapid charges you can get in the world the company that makes them is in brisbane which would be the last place you'd expect electric car chargers you know so that uh, it is intriguing there's a lot of real high level engineering skill uh, and, and technological development in australia which is bizarre and we're starting to build electric buses there's quite a few companies doing that as yes well, which yes is which is going to become that's going to you're just going to go it's going to happen it will happen anyway and then you know suddenly we'll have a bus on the streets of coventry in the uk that's actually an aussie bus <laughs> which would be great so the the concept of fully charged cities is is really exciting in my eyes yes I, well no Australia. no probably not i mean i i would suppose adelaide is on the would be on the list i think simply because they've got a slightly more although the uh, south australia as a state certainly has a slightly more the acknowledgement that renewables work yes. <laughs> let's start there yeah <laughs> they and do actually work both sides of government understand that yeah and I mean, it is, you know, I think the, the, the fact that a transition is by very nature disruptive, uncomfortable, awkward. It means that existing industries that are well established and have influence will lose that lead. And that means that you've got some tension and stress. That's going to happen. That has happened all over the place. You know, that's not, that's certainly not unique to Australia. But I think that it is that it is one of those transitions. So it's like, same as telephones you know when i you know you and i can remember that we used to have telephones with wire yes <laughs> you know and if it didn't have wire it didn't work yeah. and it's that you know you then think oh, i've forgotten now we don't have a landline i mean i wouldn't know what to do with it and, yeah. i mean i'm old enough to remember we had phones where you had to move your finger oh. in a circle and dial <laughs> and uh, you know that stuff so that that and there could be any number of people who said no, we've got to keep landlines. Landlines are for poorer people and keep them free. And, and, there's, and you go, shut up, mate. It's not, yeah. it's not true. Yeah. You know, it's like the, there's a brutal, vile argument that's used in this country that we should 
allow Africa to, we should export coal to Africa so they can have power. And if you're opposed to that, you're trying to keep people poor. Mm-hmm. And you, go, you hear this argument, you go, that is brilliantly phrased, you know, because it's, because it's so painfully obvious that it's a massive scream in your face lie. And that what's happening on the ground in Australia is, you know, we've met some of the people who do it, that they, they are working out little financial schemes where people buy one solar panel, a tiny little uh, six volt lead acid battery and LED lamps, and they have electric lighting. They don't need to use kerosene anymore. They're not, you know, all the negative stuff of kerosene. And it's and that, as soon as people go there, oh, I can charge my phone on it as well. Oh, my God. And they are that is spreading across, uh, you know, sub-Saharan Africa at an incredible rate. Yeah. And we know of a hospital which I'd love to go and visit, amazing hospital that a friend of mine was the architect on. That's made of rammed earth, literally the earth that it stands on, and it's got a huge solar array on the roof. The, the roof is a massive, massive, uh, like ten tennis courts of solar, and it's it's flat because it's on the equator, so it doesn't need to be angled. <laughs> And uh, and that produces power for the local villages as well as the hospital. Wow. So it needs no diesel generators. It doesn't do anything. And they're now talking about electric. Uh, so Land Rover have made some electric Land Rovers that are brilliant for that sort of environment that, as ambulances. So, you know, it just that stuff. And you go, what, you want to build a coal plant in Africa? You morons. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So, there's, so there's that battle is going to go on for 20 or 30 years as those industries gradually decline and the same for the oil industry i think it's fascinating what is happening there so there's constant resistance and they'll do anything and mal there'll be a lot of malpractice corruption but they know their days are numbered you know when you talk to executives in for instance shell i've recently had contact with they know they've got to stop drilling up and extracting oil they've got to transition their massive company and their tens of thousands of employees to something else and they are investing you know, billions in renewables in this country until you see how much they're still investing in exploring for new oil resources where hundreds of billions. So you've got to keep your cynical hat on, but acknowledge that they they understand that there is a transition taking place that they have to be part of or they die. You know, it's as simple as that. Sadly, that's where we have to leave Robert Llewellyn, founder of Fully Charged, the world's number one clean energy and electric vehicle channel. But he'll be back next week to tell us more about the amazing clean energy developments he's seen around the world. The Beyond Zero Science and Solutions Show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.